Good morning, Hope Central. What an absolute joy it is to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is James. I'm part of the leadership team of the church here. And along with my wife, Ellen, uh, we... There we go. There we are. Oh, went too fast. There we are. Uh, oh. There we go. Uh, along with my wife, Ellen, uh, we lead Hope North. Uh, and if you don't know, we are... A, uh, we're one church, but we're two Sunday morning meetings, and three months ago we launched Hope North into Kingsworthy, uh, and we went with a team, and uh, this is my first time back since the end of February, uh, so it feels... It, oh, stop it, stop it, you guys, stop it. Um, uh, obviously, this is, this is our family, we've got three children, uh, Leona and Ezra, and yes, we do always look that perfect, and they do always hold still for photos. Uh, so uh, that's, that's us. Uh, I wanted to start this morning, actually, a little, a little bit cheekily. I want to start by saying thank you to you. Um, we, we launched North, we went multi-site three months ago, as I said, and it's been the most incredible journey for all of us. All of us, not just those of us that have gone to North, but here as well. And I want to thank God for you. And I want to honor you before him because this wouldn't have been able to happen without your faithful hearts, without your uh, understanding, your patience. Those of you who have come and seen us and visited us, um, I hope you've got a flavor of what we're, we're, we're about at North. Um, but I want to thank you so much. And um, over the summer, last year at West Point, um, uh, there was a guy called Dave Devnish who brought a word um, over the church. Totally out of the blue, he was in the middle of his preach and he just started prophesying over Hope Church. And he said that uh, there were going to be signs of spring, there were going to be new shoots that came up from the ground. And over the last three months, it's been the most incredible spring uh, that I've seen in this church in the nine years that I've been here. And God is really with us, and he really is on the move. And it's not just at North, you know, it's here as well. It really is here as well. And, you know, I, although I'm not here on a Sunday morning, we hear stories of what's going on here. And it's really exciting to be part of a church that is, you know, with God and is moving with God. And, and the other thing I want to highlight to you is that new shoots doesn't necessarily mean new Christians. I mean, we have seen people being saved in the last three months. It's been really, which is really exciting. It's wonderful. But actually, you know, at North especially, I'll, I'll talk from North, I'm biased. But at North, we've seen people step up. So our tech team, we had no tech team when we launched. Okay, the guys that took it on had little to no experience taking it on. And within three hours, four hours on a Saturday morning, on the Saturday before we launched, they learned everything and they have served us faithfully and we haven't had any tech issues in the three months that we've, uh, that we've been going, which is amazing. So I want, I want, you know, for them, I want to honor them. And also, specifically, there's a lady called Linda Jameson. I can talk about her because she's not here. Um, but Linda has, you know, she's just served us at North so faithfully with the welcome team. You know, she has been along early every Sunday morning. She's set up. She has just given her heart and soul into it. And it's just allowed new shoots to come up. And I want to challenge you in terms of, I know that there are those of you here who maybe you feel like, oh, maybe I want some of that. God can bring new shoots to you. What's your new shoot? So, uh, so thank you so much, church, for serving us and honoring us and you know, you are always welcome at North. Always welcome at North. 
so, uh, I am going to be speaking this morning in the next in our series on uh, the way to life, uh, which is based on the Sermon on a Mount, on the Mount, not a Mount, the Mount, uh, which is a series of teachings that Jesus gave about various issues. So we've been through anger, lust, love, keeping promises, fasting. Last week, Luke spoke to us about fasting and honoring our words. Uh, and in this week, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 14 which I probably don't even need to turn to because you could all recite for me now. Uh, We're not going to do it because it's classic in churches that as soon as we do this, there's this monotone uh, that comes along and it becomes exceptionally boring, and I don't want that to happen. Uh, So, But I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to try and sound not monotone. So... Uh, and even if you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm, I'm fairly certain, certain I could hedge my bets and say that you know this, regardless of whether you know Jesus or not this morning. So, let's read together. It says, Pray like this then, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. As a math teacher, I'm constantly asked, usually by my stroppy 13-year-olds, what is the point of this? Why am I doing this? When am I ever going to use this in my real life, ever? (laughs) And to a certain extent, they have a point. (laughs) There aren't any 13-year-olds in here, are there? No? Good, they've all gone. Uh, Do you know, Pythagoras' theory is fascinating and brilliant, but it is totally irrelevant to most of you in your everyday life Um, But this morning, what we're going to learn is that Jesus uh, teaches us to pray like this, uh, and in him doing so, that there is a God and that he will listen. Jesus doesn't teach us anything meaningless. By giving us this prayer, Jesus is telling us that this is how to pray and that there is a God who listens to you. I'm going to split this morning into uh, four sections. Uh, The first is our Father. So, Jesus starts his prayer with the simplest of beginnings. I don't know what your perception of God is. We sometimes try to place an image on God to quantify his enormity. Perhaps you see him this morning as as a dictator. Perhaps you see him as this supreme being that fills the universe that you, you know, in terms of size, you can't contemplate. But when Jesus prays, our Father, the term he's using to describe God is literally the relationship between a child and their daddy. Jesus teaches us to start our prayer like a conversation with a heavenly father, with a heavenly dad. The best image I can use to describe this is when Leo, my eldest, uh, wants to talk to me, he'll often just come up and place his hand in my hand and just wait. And then he might go, Daddy. That's what Jesus is telling us to do here. To cry out to our Abba, Father, our Daddy. 
but how can I call God my father? The people listening to Jesus would have found this concept incredibly challenging. The concept of an intimate father in first century Israel is unheard of in the culture of the day. It would have been very hard to find a father who was close with his children. And actually, in today, and I experience this in teaching, and I'm sure that many of you others who are involved working with children will experience this as well, but we're living in an increasingly fatherless society. God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to earth to save us from our wrongdoing so that we may become adopted children, the Bible calls us sons in Jesus. When we choose Jesus, when we chose Jesus, when we became Christians as our Lord and Savior, when we're born again into his resurrection, that means when we accept him and we accept what he's done for us and we rise again with him, we become his children. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's because we are in Jesus that we get to call God our Abba, Father. We are co-heirs in Christ. Now, I don't want to get lost in the metaphor of, of Jesus as our, as our daddy. He absolutely is. And I think for some of you this morning, I think you really need to hear that God is your daddy. But the next line, hallowed be your name, tells us that actually when we are praying to our daddy. We're praying to our father, but we're praying to God. Because hallowed, the word hallowed means to make holy, to be greatly revered and honored. We pray to a God who is both our father, daddy, and the creator and sustainer of the universe. The God who flung stars into space and the God who holds us when we're broken and hurting. Jesus is teaching us here in those two lines that they are both it's the same God. And actually, we really struggle to understand this as human beings. It's one of those things you think, how can you be one and the other. But actually, in God, God is. He is both of them. I don't know what your relationship is like with your father. I've been very blessed that I have a great relationship with my dad. Um, he's been an inspiring father. But he isn't perfect. And he'll be the first to admit that. Um, just before Christmas, my dad had a stroke. Uh, and for the first time in my life, 32 years, um, the rock that I had come to depend on as my earthly father was lying there in a bed in tears, sobbing. And it's only because that, it's only because I knew my, my heavenly father and that I leant on him that I was then able to look at my earthly father and love him all the more. Father God, Abba, will never let us down. He's not going to trick us. He doesn't make false promises. God doesn't change. He's not in the business of pulling the carpet out from under your feet. In fact, when we were as far away as possible, he called our name. Jeremy brought a word this morning, knock and the door will be open to you. 
And that's true this morning. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you knock, he will open the door and he will not ever close it. No matter what we've done, if we accept Jesus into our lives and say sorry for all the wrong things we do, we are adopted into God's family. In Jesus, we become heirs. We're free, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, restored, healed, alive, loved, supported, cared for. We get to come to God, the creator of the universe, call him dad, rest our hand in his, and he will hear us. We don't have to be showy, we don't have to go through rituals, we don't have to be religious, we just ask. Father, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is perhaps the most terrifying section to pray for us, for me in particular. When I pray, do I actually mean your kingdom come, your will be done? Except when it puts me out and I feel a little bit awkward. What about my will? What about what I want? Where's my new car? Where's, you know, Lord, where's, you know, where is this? It would be really helpful if I could, you know, that would work colleague would, you know, just... Just, you know, go on. (laughs) Quite often, my children don't understand why I'm asking them to do something. 99 times out of 100, there is a genuinely good reason that I'm asking them not to do something. Put the scissors down. That's Ezra, the baby. Put the scissors down. Uh, No, you can't climb on the windowsill. That happened yesterday. Uh, please don't jump on me there. That is quite often uh, one that I use. <laughs> that usually happens after it's happened, by the by. <laughs> when we're children of God, we are called to trust God as our Father, trust His timings, His answers, His decisions. And just like Noah, my three year old, and if you know Noah, you'll appreciate this that we really struggle to understand and to interpret why we're being asked to do it. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done already. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, so we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story and we're in the build-up to the crucifixion, Jesus takes his disciples and he goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, my father, if it is possible, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus presents his will before the Father. You can see that if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So he presents his will to the Father. And yet he still prays, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prays this prayer under conditions that we could never even begin to comprehend. He's about to take on the sins of the world onto his shoulders. He's about to be separated from his heavenly father, and yet he still prays out, your will be done. Martin Luther, who's this handsome chap here, writes that without this trust in God, we will try to take God's place and seek revenge for those who've harmed us. We try to solve our own problems. We will be protected from the horrible vices of character assassination, slander, backbiting, condemning others, 
only if we learn to commit ourselves to God. If we can't say, thy will be done from the bottom of our hearts, we will never know any peace. When my wife and I had been married for a couple of years, we felt that we were called to Winchester, and um, we, lived, we were living in Canterbury at the time, and um, I started to apply for jobs, and I was allowed to have one day off to come and visit schools and have a look around, uh, and so I frantically came and visit, visited schools, uh, and there was one school that I went to that I thought, this is... This is it, this is the one. This is the one that I want the job. This is where I want to work. And uh, I, I was coming out of a, um, uh, a really troubled school near, in, near, near Margate in Kent, and um, I was a, a terrible teacher. I was honestly dreadful. Uh, and I'd spent two years just failing miserably at a whole host of things. And this school that I wanted to was not just outstanding, it was, it was a national support school. So this is like the top of the top schools. And when I visited, I, I, I really I wanted to work there. I, I was like, this is what I've needed. I've needed, in my first two years of teaching, this is what I've needed. And I came and I, I, I applied for the job and I got an interview. It was very exciting. And I, and I went to the interview and the interview went very, very well. And I thought, this is, you know, I've, I've done it. And as I was driving away, I felt God challenged, I felt really challenged, and I prayed out loud the entire way that the best person for the, for the job would get the job, and if it was me, that was great, but I prayed, God, your will be done. And actually, that's what we're doing here. That's what God's calling us to do, is to, is to pray, look, God, this is, what, this is what I would like to happen, but your will be done. Last week, Luke used an image that was so good that I'm going to rob it and use it again. <laughs> uh, because it impacted me so much. And if you were here last week, do you remember? Blank faces. Sorry, Luke, if you're listening. They, they don't remember. <laughs> but Luke showed us a really simple metaphor for living in God's promises. Okay, he had two hoops, and he placed one hoop on the floor... And he stepped into it, and we stand in God's promises. Okay, so the hoop on the floor is us standing in God's promises. But with that, there's a hoop that he had a very, he had a glamorous assistant, yes, uh, who held over his head. And those are the rules that we live by, that God wants us to live by. So as we stand in God's promises within the hoop, over us is another hoop that uh, is his law, his laws and his rules. Okay, but what I want to say to you this morning is that I want you to imagine that this image of two hoops, one hoop and another, is a cylinder. Okay? And the properties of a cylinder, maths, yes, okay, are that both the circles are the same size. There's no imbalance. Okay? So when you step into God's promises, no matter how big or small the circle is, Whatever God's asking you to do underneath or over the top of you, actually the promise is exactly the same size. God never asks us to do things that we can't do. He's never going to ask you to, uh, to go and do something that you can't achieve, that you can't get through. And it doesn't, what, however big this is, over the hoop over our head, when we look down, it's the same size. And we need to remember, as we step into the cylinder, that we need to actually look, not at the bottom one, but we need to look at both. We need to look up. 
hallowed be your name at the top and look down, Abba Father. Hebrews 13, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? And I think I can say it like that, because I'm not cocky, I'm not standing here going, I'm proud. Actually, when I'm in God, what can man do to me? Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom, as, and as sons whom we cry, Abba, Father. When we step into God, when we step in, we don't step into or under a dictator. We step into a father. And we don't go, when we step into God, it's not out of slavery into another slavery. We step out of slavery into freedom. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm just going to briefly touch on this because when we stand in all that God has for us, he will provide for us. What father doesn't provide for his children? When, children, when my children come to me and say, Daddy, can I have a drink? Yes, of course. Now, there are times when they ask me for things and I say no. But that's, and God is the same. When we ask him things, you know, Lord, I would really like VW Caravel please, Lord, I know what the answer's going to be. Well, I hope. I hope it's not. One day, maybe. But God, God never, doesn't, when we want, when we need something, like Vicky's word this morning, you know, he leads me by green pastures. When God leads us, he leads us to the pastures that we need when we need it. Number three, forgive us our debts. Oh, I've gone on too far. About seven years ago, uh, just when, about when Ellen was pregnant with Leo and we were building up for the excitement of having, having children, um, I was really hurt by several people. I'd shared my heart, I'd worn it on my sleeve uh, and been shot down. And instead of letting go of the hurt, I held on to it. I refused to let it go. My pride and stubborn heart refused to let those people who had hurt me get away with it. Did I talk to them about it? No. In some way, talking to them about it would, in my, in my perception at the time, would have shown me to be weak. I needed to be strong. I needed to stand up. They had wronged me. They needed to realize they had wronged me. And then when they'd come and apologized, then, and only then, would I forgive them? Because they needed to realize the wrong that they had done. Friends, let me tell you that forgiving someone, there's a, if you've ever done Freedom in Christ, which is a wonderful program, and uh, if you need freedom, it's really good to do. But if you've ever done Freedom in Christ, you'll have, there's a metaphor used for forgiveness, and it is, uh, imagine you're fishing, and the hook gets caught in your mouth. And actually, the person that needs forgiveness, they don't know what's going on. Only, the only person that it impacts is you. The hook in your mouth, it only impacts you. It doesn't impact the person over there. They've got no idea. It only impacts you. 
And my unforgiveness in, in, in that, it drove me out into a cold place, away from God. I was completely lost. We used to come, Ellen used to drag me to church on a Sunday morning, and I used to almost, metaphorically, but almost physically, hold on to the seat with two hands so that I would stay here. And the reason I was out in the cold is because I had lost sight of what God had done for me. In Matthew 18, uh, there's a story about how Peter asks what he interprets to be an intelligent question. The disciples would quite often do this. They would come up, they would, I don't know if they would spend ages thinking about a question and then come up to Jesus and go, hey Jesus, what do you reckon? And his question at this point, Peter asks several absolute crackers, but this one, how often should I forgive my brother? Now on the face of it, you think, that's pretty good. And he says, should it be seven times? Because you know, Jesus, that's quite a lot, seven times. And Jesus blows him away with the answer. He says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he goes on to tell a story about a master who wants to settle a debt with one of his servants. Uh, So the servant is brought before him, thrown before him, and this servant owes his master the equivalent of hundreds of thousands of pounds. And the master says, you owe me this money, pay it now. And the servant says, I can't. I can't pay it. And the master says, okay then, well I'm gonna sell you, I'm gonna sell your wife, and I'm gonna sell your children to settle the debt. And the servant goes, no, oh dear master, have mercy, please, I will repay it. Give me the chance to repay it, I will pay you back. And the master is so impacted by this man's, or woman's plea, that he says, do you know what, it's okay, I forgive you. Your debt is clear, you can go. And the servant goes out. Uh, He must have been just elated. I mean, absolutely incredible. He's been forgiven this debt. He's been saved from this debt. And he goes out and he bumps into somebody on the street, another servant, who owes him the equivalent of a day's wages. So let's put that in perspective. Servant owed hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds, is forgiven comes across a servant who owes him a day's wages. A couple hundred quid. And he says to him, give me my money. And the other servant falls before him and says, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't have it. I can't, I can't pay you back. I can't pay you back. And so he says, right, you can go to jail until you've paid back the, 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 what you owe me, the debt that you owe me. And the other, there are other servants from the master standing around and they're going, are you serious? Is this guy serious? He's just been forgiven this. And they run to tell the master, and the master is furious, and he throws the servant in jail. It wasn't until I realized how much like that servant I was that I realized how utterly ridiculous it was for me to hold on to my unforgiveness. God has forgiven me so much, so much. Who am I to hold any forgiveness, unforgiveness towards anyone else. Who am I? Now, I want to say that it's not an easy process, and it's forgiveness. It took many weeks for my head to convince my heart that I needed to let go. But in Jesus, I was able to forgive the people who had hurt me. And actually, a wonderful testimony is that one of them actually 
two years later, or more than two years later, came and said, do you know what, I really hurt you then and I'm really sorry. And I was able to sit there and say, it's okay, because you're forgiven. And the, the place, the difference of, the, di I mean, the difference between the two is quite staggering. My place of being lost and me being able to say, it's okay, I forgave you, it's fine. What a freedom it gave, it was quite amazing. The freedom that I felt when I realized that God had forgiven me was like, it's just taking a heavy bag off your shoulders. You just go, oh, thank you. God is about bringing freedom from the burdens we carry around with us. If you're holding on to unforgiveness this morning, ask Jesus to help you remove the hook from your mouth and step into all that God has for you. There it is, step in to all that God has for you. In fact, it's so important that Jesus highlights it after the prayer. So we have in, this, in, our, in our passage this morning, we have a short extract of prayer. And then Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We need to be a people who forgive those around us all the time. Seventy times seven. The point Jesus is making is if you truly understand how much God has forgiven you, if you truly get it, you cannot help but forgive. It's like a compulsion. If something happens, somebody does something to you, it's like, it's okay, you're forgiven. It just it falls out of you. Forgiving others is the way to living in God's grace and favor. Jesus finishes the prayer by teaching us to be mindful of our own hearts and to protect ourselves from evil. In these last few lines, Jesus is preparing us for what is to come. Life is hard and people are broken. Broken people make selfish choices and that impacts in ways that we can't even imagine, even as Christians. In these last few lines, Jesus is calling us to raise our gaze towards heaven to draw our eyes away from the temptations of this world and to remain within those hoops of his blessing and under his rule. Because as we read in Hebrews, if I am within God, who is man? Who is man? What, man? what can man do to me? The Bible is full of God keeping his promises. Full of it. Let's move on to my final point. The sound of silence. Please resist the temptation to sing that in your head. Uh, honestly, I've been dealing with this for the last three weeks and it, every time I say it, I sing it in my head. But anyway, let's move on. We spent the morning looking how Jesus teaches us to pray uh, and we're not meant to use the prayer literally every day. I think I can easily say that this is the most prayed prayer ever. It's probably the most spoken words ever uh, in humankind. I think it's probably fairly safe to say that. But we're not, you're not meant to use it literally every day. It's not there to be read every day because Jesus says, pray like this. He doesn't say, pray this. He says, pray like this. And it's meant to, we're meant to use it to inspire us. So I want to challenge you, don't let the prayer itself become a religious act. Use it to inspire you about but getting into a rhythm of conversing with God isn't easy. 
it's not always easy when Leo wants to ask me something. He doesn't always come and hold my hand. He quite often yells from the other room. And what do we do then if God doesn't answer our prayers? There's a couple of examples of silence in the New Testament that I want to share with you. The first is with Jesus. In uh, the book of John, chapter 8, we read about Jesus' interaction with religious leaders and an immoral woman outside the temple. I want you to picture the scene, okay? Jesus is sat uh, outside the temple, he's teaching, uh, and she's been caught in the act of adultery and is brought before Jesus. You can imagine her being thrown, towards, thrown to the ground uh, and she's brought to be punished because she's been caught in adultery. And the Pharisees, that is the religious leaders at the time, see this as an opportunity to try and catch Jesus out. They say to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. There's no mention of the man at this point, just the woman. The law of Moses says that she must be stoned. What do you say? Now, if I place myself in that picture, I know exactly what I'd be like. The law of Moses says, right, come on then. <coughs> law of Moses says, come on then, sorry love, but you know, it says, the law says. But no. Jesus bends down, crouches down, and writes in the sand with his finger. And says, nothing. So they keep asking. Come on, Jesus, teacher, tell us. Come on, immoral woman, Laura Moses, you know, she deserves it. And Jesus, eventually, he stands and says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then it says he sits down and carries on doodling in the sand. And gradually, people start to slip away. It says in John, firstly, the older ones leave, and then everyone else, as it dawns on them. Jesus doesn't answer their question. He states a fact. The rest of the time, he is silent. Jesus waits for the crowd to process the word in their own hearts. There's another example. Paul, a guy called Paul and another guy called Silas were having to wait for God. Paul is an apostle in the early church and Silas is recognized as a leader and teacher. So these are two really godly men and they've been teaching in a town and uh, the, the people of the town get really cross and they throw them into jail. But in Acts 16, where, where this story comes from, they're in prison. This doesn't appear to stop them as they continue to pray and worship out loud, but God doesn't answer their prayers immediately. It says in verse 25, about midnight, there is a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison are shaken and the doors fly open and the bonds holding them are broken. God answers our prayers in his own timing. Could God have blown the doors off the jail first time of asking? Absolutely, yes, he could. But we read on that as the jailer despairs at losing his prisoners, because the doors are open, he can hear the chains rattling. He knows that they're free. Paul calls out to him and says, don't worry, we're still here. Paul and Silas's patience in waiting for God to answer their prayer 
leads to the salvation of not only the jailer, but his entire household. And actually, some commentators talk about how this story, this is in Philippi, leads to the, a kind of an explosion of, ch- of the church in, in Philippi. Brothers and sisters, we don't always know or understand the reasons God answers some and not other prayers. But I want to encourage you that if you feel like you're stood in the silence, look to God. Is he pointing something out to you in your own heart, like with me, with my unforgiveness? And I just had to, he just was waiting for me to process it. Or perhaps he's preparing you for something amazing. Let me encourage you. Hold steadfast, my friends. Now, I know that there are many of you tussling with silence this morning. And I want to say to you that you inspire me so much. I want to specifically highlight uh, Dave and Jane Gagel to you. If you don't know, Jane is, is very unwell. And for the last few months, they have been tussling with finding out what's wrong and finding then finding out what is wrong and now trying to on a road to treatment and I'm part of a, a WhatsApp group with many of you here and, and their friends and on a day almost daily basis the level of prayer that comes in on that WhatsApp is phenomenal. It blows my mind that, we, that you are collectively as a people so faithful in prayer even when God is yet to answer. So how do we respond to this? So I think there are quite a few groups of people here this morning and I'm going to go through them and I'm just going to pause after each one just to give you time to process this and then I'm going to pray and then Joe and the band are going to come up and they're going to sing a song over you this morning because we need to rest in God's presence. So firstly, I think there are some of you here, you need to know God as your father this morning. You need to know that God is your daddy and his hand is there waiting. There are those of you here who need to know that you are stood in God's promises and that God's promises, or you, maybe your eyes are fixed on this hoop of how can I ever live up to these expectations, the top hoop. Look down, my friends and look where you are stood in his promises. There are some of you here who need to know that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. There is nothing that you can have done that is unforgivable. And then there are those of you who are like me who need to forgive. You need to let go. Son Jesus to die for me 
that as I stand in him this morning, I don't stand in my own confidence, I don't stand in my own works, there's nothing that I could have done, Father. As I stand in your son Jesus, that I'm an heir to your kingdom.